Ready to go? So today, with Hashem's help, we're going to finish the fifth chapter of Megillah Sesta. The fifth chapter, it's kind of like the halfway point. Up until, up until the end of the fifth chapter, things are not looking very good. All this trouble that's happening. We get to the sixth chapter, everything starts to unfold, everything starts to change. We briefly touched on verses 12 and 13 in our previous class. I want to reiterate those, those psukim and give you a little more depth. And then we'll move into the wicked wife, Zeresh, and her advice. Pasuket Beis, Vayemer Haman. Haman is now talking, really we could start uh, in verse 11, even though we, we studied this previously, just to reiterate. Vayisaper lehem Haman es kveid Haman is relating all of his glory, all of his honor. Vanov and his many children. We talked about that. All of the wondrous things that the king has done for him. And the way he was elevated from above, all of the ministers and all of the other servants of the king. So the Mepharshim say that there's Haman's success. First, his success was his wealth. He made a lot of money. And then after his money, he had a family. But that was all about Haman. Really, you should have family first and then wealth after. But for Haman, it was all about Haman. So <laughs> his main thing was he should have a lot of money. Then when he had a lot of money, he wasn't happy. He needed to have a family to make him feel good. So that's when he set out to build his family. And he had a lot of children, many, many wives. And then came Haman's fame, his meteoric rise, his political career. And now Haman is so famous, more so than all of the other officers and ministers. He is the number one politician. He's, he's, he's at the top. And he tells all this. He's relating all this. Why is he, why is he talking about this? So the Nermeinu Moshe Alshech says like this. Haman had decided he's got to get rid of Mordechai. Now. What's the problem? Mordechai's got a, a death sentence against him. Together with all the Jews. It's a couple of months. You can't wait 11 months. They're all going to be dead. The Jewish people are going to be a forgotten piece of history. They're all going to be finished off. Mordechai, their leader amongst them. Haman has to justify why it is that he cannot stand to have Mordechai live another day. So he has to talk about all the wonderful things that he has. And then when he's finished talking about all the wonderful things he has, he's going to say, and take a look in verse 13, But Jose says that all of this, it's all worthless. I can't even enjoy any of the gifts I have. I can't enjoy my money, I can't enjoy my family, I can't enjoy my fame and my fortune, as long as Mordechai is still alive. So really, he's making the case here as to why he needs to act immediately. He has so many Beautiful things in life, so many good things to enjoy. You can't enjoy anything because Mordechai spoils the day all the time. The Alshech says like this. He says, Haman knew he was making his case. Remember, he came home to get advice, not just comfort. He, he trusted his wife, Zerah. She, she would have number one at heart. She would take care of him most than everybody else. And because he knew his wife was his best friend, then she would look out for him. And there was other people, called Oihavav, all the other people who loved him. So with his children, maybe other people who loved him, he needed to make the case. So Choshash, he says, they'll say to me, Mazamiharta, what's your rush? Why do you have to get rid of uh, Mordechai now? Hamten ad Yudgimulah wait until the 13th day of Adar, and then you get rid of him. Mordechai will just be as one of them, another statistic, another dead body, another number. So therefore, Haman begins by talking about all the wonderful things he has. Kol all of the things that he's achieved. And he says, all of this is meaningless. If I just see Mordechai, in a moment, it all dissipates. I'm sick to my stomach. I can't enjoy anything of it. And this is why, by Yisaper, he tells, at beginning, the narrative begins with verse 11, by Yisaper. Because in verse 10, by Yisaper, Haman contains himself. He restrains himself. He's not going to react. He's going to wait to get home. And then from verse 11 until verse 13, Haman has a talking part. Okay, the, the, the spotlights on Haman, Haman's talking. And starts off with the words, Vayisaper loy, he began to tell them. And then the end, so he begins, here's where the quotation marks begin, Vayisaper loy, he tells them. And Haman's talking. And then, it concludes in verse 13, Vacholze, and all of this, and it's, it's worthless for me. I can't even enjoy it. In the words of the Alshech, Haman said, Kol ha-mailes, v'hagdeles, b'telem v'nehepachem le'evel. 
all the wondrous things, all the nice things I have, it's meaningless. It all turns into mourning for me. The mourning gets a you added to me. So it's not mourning for me. It's not happiness. I don't have any joy in life. And he says, there are three things generally that bring, that gladden the heart of a man. What are they? His, his, his finances, his success, and financial success, his family, and his fame. So Haman said, he listed all three things. My finances, my family, my fame. He says, and it's all, I get an F, a failing grade, because I can't enjoy finances, family, or fame, as long as this guy's still alive. So Rav Ashrei, and that's what we see. Take a look now, you'll see with Sapulahem is Rav Ashrei, Kveid Ashrei, that's the wealth. The next words in the Pasuk in verse 11 are Rav Bonov and his many children. That's the family. And finally, the ace call Asher Gidloi HaMelech, all the things that the king had done to magnify, to glorify him. And how he was raised above all others. And he says, you can't really reasonably expect me to wait 11 months now. I can't be miserable for 11 months. I need satisfaction. I need happiness now. And this guy Mordechai is in the way of my happiness. I need to get rid of him. And that's why he says, if you take a look in Bechol Zain and Eshev, down to verse 13 again, he says, Bechol Eis Asher Aniroyes Mordechai. Every time I see this SOB, every time I see this Jew, it kills me. It rips my heart out. I can't be happy. What's Bechol Eis? I said, don't look at him. Don't look at him. The guy's sitting there in the parliament. Ah, very good, many. Very good. Here, Haman goes on to say, not only I see him b'chaleis, which Imam Loyas quotes Mepharshim saying, it was his Jewish identity. Can't stand it. The guy's not ashamed to be a Jew. So stick his payas in my face. I have to see that he's Jewish. He has to self-identify as a Jew. Can he just, you know, melt into the background? And then he's sitting there, Bashar HaMelech. He's sitting there, in the king's gate. So the Ashur says, once upon a time he didn't bow to me. But at least he showed me a little deference. Now he's got this Jewish chutzpah. Now he doesn't even stand up for me. Now it's like I'm not there. He ignores me entirely. Daddy says I can't stand at all. To such a degree to ignore me? Like, that's the point. Very good. I Yeshev that he's still sitting over there. And therefore, I have to do what I have to do. Now, Haman goes on to say, One second. Now, Haman's talking about the party. But according to the Alshech, all of the things he discussed in verse 11 are making the case for why he can't wait. So, what's verse 12? Why is he relating this business? As Esther, the queen, didn't bring me together with the king. To the party, the Mishta, the feast that she made. Only me. Ah, what's his point? Because they're going to say to him, you know, Haman, it's a little bit of thin ice you're walking on. After all, we think the queen has a relationship with Mordechai. So if you try to eliminate Mordechai too quick, I mean, let's maybe not overreach. We have them done. So in 11 months, they're finished. And you're 13th of other, they're all dead. Maybe just like bide your time. So sometimes if you overreach, overplay your hand, you can end up in trouble. So Haman now says, I know what you're thinking. You're going to tell me, just sit pretty, Wait, by the time, wait until the day comes and then it will be finished. He says, I can't do that. Why? Because, I, I don't have to do that because take a look, he says. I'm so trusted, not only by the king, by the queen also. She also trusts me. Because Remember, we talked about previous class. She wants to ask something really big for the king. I don't know what it is yet. The king himself doesn't know what it is yet. But all I do know is that in order for her to make her request, who did she need sitting at the table? Me. See that? That's how important they are. Even the queen needs me. So there's no reason to think that Mordechai will have a better end. And then you say to him, well, what, maybe the queen's setting you up. Maybe it's not as good as you think. He says, what are you talking about? It's not only today. Tomorrow I'm also called. You see? It wasn't that she set me up today. She really needs me to make the request because tomorrow she's making the request and then she wants to make sure I'm there too. And this way, now Haman has, so to speak, all of his bases covered. He made the case. What's Haman looking for? He's looking for advice how to get rid of Mordechai now. Now. That's his plan now. Whatever he has achieved until now is not enough for him. He's got genocide plan. No more Jewish people. They're all going to be history. That's great. That was good yesterday. Now Haman says, I have a new problem. Mordechai himself has to be eliminated now. I have to get rid of him. And so, 
after knowing all this, because, and that's what Haman finishes off, all of this is worthless for me. I cannot simply go on with life, because until I get rid of Mordechai, I will never ever be able to enjoy another good day. Now, it's interesting that in these psukim that unfold as, as Haman is, is, is speaking to, to his family, he never mentions Mordechai not bowing. That was the whole reason he began the whole plot. Never mentions it. Why not? The Why is it? So, so the Al Sheikh says it's embarrassing for him. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, it didn't bow to me. Mm-hmm. He, he made that argument already. Now he's saying, wait, well, this is really personal. He said, it's not me. It's not about me. This is, he, he, he doesn't, it's just his existence. Forget about it. Doesn't, I care if he bows to me. <laughs> Haman's not going to admit that the fact that everybody bows, but one guy didn't bow, that's, that, that, that's who bothers me. There was like this joke out there once upon a time that Assad, the father, was, a, was elected in the democratic elections in Syria. And he won like, uh, you know, uh, 99.9.9%. And one guy voted against him. He said, who is the guy who voted against me? I want to know his name right now. Like, like <laughs> one guy didn't bow. Like, what do you care? Right? So Haman's embarrassed to say that, even from his own wife and children. He has a little self-respect. He has to maintain his dignity. So he says, it's not bowing. <laughs> Mordechai's bowing. It's nothing. It's a cockroach to me. But he gets on my nerves. I can't stand him. And because he bothers me so much, I have to get rid of him. Okay, so now we have to step back for a moment. And I'm going to reiterate, remind you what Rashi said on verse 13 about Inenu Shevali. And then we're going to go in and fill you in with some of the background. Rashi said on the words in Enoshevali, All of this honor that I have doesn't, doesn't really mean very much to me. Why? Every time when I see this guy Mordechai. So obviously, this, this, from, a, from Rashi's perspective, this needs to be elucidated. Like, what was it that bothered Haman so much? It's because he saw Mordechai. Like, that he's going crazy. He's, he actually is risking his life. He's risking everything just to get Mordechai. Is it really worth it? Like, what, what got under his skin so badly? So Rashi here says, you take a look in the Gemara, Megillah, and you'll see that he was, Mordechai would indicate a document, which according to some opinions was on a shoe, written on the bottom of a shoe. And he would lift up the shoe, which is, like I said in last class, till today in the Middle East, lifting up the bottom of your shoe is considered to be a shame, right? Embarrassment, it probably comes from then. So he would lift up a shoe, and on the shoe it said that he had sold himself as a slave to Mordechai, for a couple of loaves of bread. And this is because when they were both appointed <coughs> heads or of, the, of, of, of uh, military legions, ha- Mordechai and Haman went out to battle. Haman spent all his money. Mordechai didn't. And then there was no food left. Okay, so I want to share the Gemara with you. And then I'll, I'll also share the Yalkut Shimoni because the Yalkut Shimoni has some details the Gemara doesn't have. It's all, you know, from, from one common source, as they say. But, so the Gemara says like this. It's a Gemara Meseches Megillah and Daftes Vav Amid Aleph on the bottom. And the Gemara says, V'chol ze'in ereshevili, Amar Rabbi Eliezer, Amar Rabbi Chanina, Rabbi Eliezer said in the name of Rabbi Chanina, B'sha'a shara Haman es Mordechai, when Haman saw Mordechai sitting, Yeshu B'sha'a Ramelech, Amar lo, he said, Chol ze'eni shavli. All this is not worth anything to me. So, some of the commentaries add in uh, a missing sentence here. That's what that's what the Hagos Habach and the Marsha had in, and and to the question, and because Mordechai is sitting there, everything is worthless. Like really, because he's sitting there, so what? So he's sitting there. So the Gemara, in other words, the, in our Gemara, the, there's no question here, but it's almost like a comment. But the Gemara seems to believe it has to have. The Mepharshim believed it has to have a, like a question. It's to be like in, incredulous here. Like, and really? And that was such a big deal? That's what he couldn't stand? Why did he re- respond? Why did he react in this way? And the Gemara answers that this is Kedir This is like the teaching of Rav Chizda. The Amr Rav Chizda. Zeba bepur zbuli. Zeba bepur zbuti. No. So perzbuli, what does perzbuli mean? Bully, Rashi says, is l'shoin. Let's go to Rashi. Rashi says, "Bob pers bully." Mordechai bought a love betainas oisha. Mordechai came with the complaint, so to speak, of a wealthy person. You owe me. Came, you owe me. I'm the wealthy person. And 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 Haman came. Bob betainas oini. He came like a poor person. What happened is 
Rashi says, Shemachar Haman as Atzmei Lamardachai. Haman sold himself as a slave to Mardachai. Kaidim lachein yomim rabim bekikrei lechem. Many, many, many moons earlier. He sold him for a few loaves of bread. Buli, Rashi says, is Lashon Oisher. It comes from the terminology of wealth. Like it says, Shavarti es ga'in uzchem, elu b'lois shabi Yehuda. So we have this, that the, the Pesukim and the Torah, the curses that speak about, I'll break ga'in uzchem, the might of your pride. Who is this? And, and the, the Targum says, this is the b'lois shabi Yehuda. So the b'lois, b'lois means the wealthy people. So we understand from this that the word bully comes from the terminology of wealth. Okay, so the Gemara says, Mordechai comes with wealth, and Haman comes with Tainas Purzbuti. What's Purzbuti? So Buti, Rashi says, is Lashon Anias. It comes to the term of poverty. As it says, Vahave Taviteno, which means the Gemara over there speaks about giving a loan. And giving a loan, naturally, who needs a loan most of the time? The poor person. So Vahavi Taviteno means the person doesn't have. So he comes to the Taina of Anias. So what happened is that Haman would see Mordechai. And Mordechai, so to speak, would have the wealth. Why have the wealth? Because he owned everything. Everything had to come his way. And he would be sitting there and he would feel poor. And Mordechai would feel rich. And he was ashamed of him. And that's why he said, Kolza inina shavali. It's all worthless. What do you mean it's not, it's not worth to me? It's not not worth it. In Shavali, it's not worth to me because whatever I own, as the Gemara says, whatever a slave acquires, the slave has no jurisdiction. Who acquires it? The master acquires it. So the master acquires it. So Haman says, all these things I own are not really mine. If, if, if Mordechai owns me. And therefore, he felt threatened. And because he felt threatened, Ahmed of Papa the Papa says, they would call, people would mock Haman behind his back, and they would call him Avda the Mizban Betalmei. They would say, the servant who was sold for a couple of loaves of bread. The loaf of bread servant. Rashi says, Betulmei Nahama, Bekikris Lechem, loaves of bread. Esrim Lechem Sa'irim, there were 20 loaves of barley bread, and, uh, pardon me, it's elsewhere, in, in, the, in the Book of Kings, in the Lachem Beis, it says, Metagimin, and Esrim Tulmin the Lachma. Over there it translates 20 loaves of, of bread as tulma. So the word tulma in Aramaic comes from the terminology of, of bread. And therefore, and therefore, that's why Haman felt that he was, uh, his dignity was robbed. He felt somehow impoverished. He felt poor. He felt lost. Because if Mordechai is here, he'll never have a good day. And who knows? Mordechai could go to court. He can, he can demand the money. He can always use the, He has the documentation. So the Alka Shemani actually has the story in much, much more detail. And the Gemara says like this, the Alka Shemani says. It reads very much, very much like the, like, like the Gemara. But the Alka Shemani adds the words, the following words. Hainu, the Amr, Lei, Mordechai, Lehaman. This is what Mordechai would often say to Haman. Avda, Dekona, Nichsi. If a servant requires residuals, Avda Deman. Nichse Deman. Whose servant is he? Whose residuals are they? So Mordechai threw it in his face. Mordechai was like an in-your-face kind of guy. He didn't play games. So <laughs> when Haman would come and Haman would try to lord over Mordechai, this would Mordechai throw back at him. The Yalkut the details of the story, if you want to know some more details, is Pa'amachas, says Yalkut Shemani, Nosan HaMelech Momen. The king gave an enormous amount of money. V'shigron Barashi Gaisas, he sent Mordechai and Haman, who were, I guess, you know, young, budding uh, individuals who had tremendous potential, and he sent them off at the heads of legions. Lichbesh HaSamadina, to go capture a particular province. Natal Haman Momen Shalei V'achlei. Haman spent all his money. L'nishtayalim Momen, he had no money left. When he came to provide for his troops, he couldn't provide for them because the money was gone. He had spent in a, in, in a wild way. But Mordechai was judicious. Mordechai was spending carefully. And therefore, because of his judicious spending, he still had to have the money. He had to have the funds still with him. So Haman came and saw Mordechai. He said, Loan me this money. So Haman, Mordechai said back, I will not loan you the money unless what you'll do is sell yourself as a slave to me. Kibla al had no choice. 
because if the king would find out that he didn't have any money and his troops died because he was a spendthrift, because he behaved wildly, he would get into trouble. He would, he would be hung. Because of Loi, he wrote, Harei Homon Avdei Shal Mordechai. Behold, Haman is the servant of Mordechai. Zovin Nafshel of Mordechai, Betulma Denama. He sold his soul to Mordechai for a loaves of bread. So actually he, had to, he wanted money, according to Yaakov Shemani. But the money was for provisions. So he said he sold himself for provisions. He sold himself for loaves of bread. So now you understand a little bit of what's really going on here. Besides his anti-Semitism, this was, this was the basis of his hatred. That's why he couldn't stand Mordechai another second. Because he had all the success. But I said, I can't enjoy my success. It's never even mine. Now, in truth, Mordechai had no intention of ever trying to, so to speak, pull the cord. He had no intention of breaking the glass. He had no intention of using this probably would never hold up. If, 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 if a Jew came <laughs> with all the documentation of the world, it wouldn't help very much. I, I, I recently found that a very interesting story about my grandfather's grandfather who came to the United States in 1880, 1881. Long time ago, right? So what happened was he was a very successful business person. He lived in a Polish town called Shinova. And he loaned money to a local squire a lot of money. And then when it came time to pay, the local squire didn't want to pay. And he demanded, he had documentation, took him to court. So the local squire got the military and the police after him. So it was a question of who was going to get him first. Both the military, he paid off the military and the police. Here's this Jewish guy, young, young, young Jewish boy, and uh, they're out to get him. His name was Hersh Melechecht. So he went into hiding. And, but you, you can't, how long can you hide for? The police were looking for him and the army. He had all the legal documents. He was, you know, the guy owed him the money. So he went to the Shinovirov, who was the eldest son of the Tzanzarov, who became like a Rebbe, after, even before his father passed away. And he said to the Shinovir, what should I do? I mean, he had a wife, I think, and two children at the time. What should I do? So the Shinovir said, so it's food in America. Escape to America, go to America. So there was a sheikhet of, of Shinova was there, and he heard that the Shinova Rav is giving permission for an observant Jew to go to America. No observant Jew went to America. They say that the, the East River is full of tefillin and, and Shabbos candles. Golden and Medina, goodbye Yiddishkeit. Shinova Rav gives him a... He says, Can I get in America? <laughs> I want to get away from Poland. The Shinova Rav said, Nein. Er ved bleiben afrumerid. He'll remain an observant Jew. And Duv is bleiben, and you'll remain. <laughs> well, so Hashemelech escapes. He goes to America. And uh, he couldn't come back to Poland anymore. But his wife's parents were not very happy about the situation. And he was sending letters to his wife, and they were hiding the letters. And at a certain point, his wife wasn't responding to him anymore. The guy started going crazy. He said, do you want me to, do you want to, want me to divorce you? Like, what, what's gonna, where's this going to go? That letter they showed. Or divorce all of a sudden. And then she found out they hid all the letters. So there was this huge kerfuffle, a huge fight. And she left her parents. And she went to with her, be with her husband with two children. And they had a third child in America. And that third child in America is my great-grandfather. His name was Shia. Shia Hecht. That was my, that's, my, that's, my, that's my Zaydi's father. Then, Hershmelech, who was my grandfather's grandfather, brought his father to America. Some, somewhere in the 1890s. So, and he's buried in Brooklyn, him and his wife. His name was Ephraim Fischl, and his wife, Drezel, they're actually buried in Brooklyn. So I have seven generations <laughs> that lived in, the, in North America, all remain from. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, why am I telling you the story? It's the same kind of thing. What was Ham- Mordechai, right? With a big target on his back. Mordechai was going to go and take Haman to, 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 to court. Like, exactly how well would that go? The next day, the witnesses' cars would blow up. It would, never, it would never work. Who's going to be on the jury? Yeah. It's not going to work. Mordechai knew he couldn't do anything about this. So really, Haman's fear was unreasonable. But Haman's not reasonable. Fear and hatred easily mingle. And so Haman hated Mordechai, and he said, I feel like he owns me. doesn't matter if he can't execute his, his, his documentation. doesn't matter that he won't do anything. Still, I couldn't stand his very existence. And this has been the case many times, you know, there were Jewish people who had documentation, they were owed the money, but <laughs> you weren't going to be collecting. And of course, you never collected. You know, as a result of that money that was never paid back, 
the whole family was saved. He stayed in Europe, they all would have been killed. <laughs> like, so Hashem has strange ways of working, and that's how Hashem saved, decided this, this family will be saved, and that family came across. Now you have uh, an understanding of, of uh, what went on over here. This is what was driving Haman. This is what it was all about. This is why Haman is in this terrible rage and he wants Mordechai dead yesterday. Now, I'll add you one, one more little detail before we go further into Zeresh's um, um, advice. So, oh, let's go first to the Gemara. So the Gemara goes on to say like this. In the Megillah it says, All this is worthless for me. This is Daftas Vohom base, page 15b. Why, why does it mean all this is worthless for me? So the Gemara says, what, what did it mean when he said all this is worthless for me? No, sorry, I skipped. This teaches us that all the wealth of Haman was engraved on his heart. When he sees Mordechai sitting there, he says, Omar, call Zeh. Call Zeh. He pointed to what was engraved on his heart. Call Zeh in Enoshev. Because the word Zeh in Hebrew, especially in biblical syntax, always means this. So what's Zeh? What's that? Call Zeh. All his wealth, all his children, all his fame. What's the call Zeh? So the Gemara says that he had this, uh, this uh, very, very beautiful diamond incredibly be like, like a, you know, one of these million dollar diamonds or something that he wore around his neck. And, and, and the Teisvis Chachme Anglia add that the diamond was either engraved with or in the shape of his palace. The idols were on his brocades, on his robes. Uh, or his palace or, or his, the place where he had his safekeeping all of his money. Fabulous wealthy person, a billionaire. So he had this like, you know, people have like certain homes, have like an image. Like, 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 a, like an outline or whatever. So Mordechai, Haman had this outline of his residuals. It was like recognizable. You know, you see some of those organizations on the stationery, they put it like a picture of the building or something like that. So Haman had this like building, like the White House. The White House has an image. The Kremlin has an image. Buckingham Palace has an image. So this image is shape and it was recognizable. Lond- London Tower has an image. You look at it and this, you know in a moment. It's a, a landmark thing. So Haman's home, his compound was a landmark. And that was symbolic of all of his wealth. And therefore, he pointed all this, meaning his residuals, his compound, all his money was hidden, all this, and in a shevali. It's worth nothing as long as that guy is alive. As long as he's still sitting over there, Bashar HaMelech, I can't take it. I can't, it's, it's, it's impossible for me to swallow this. I can't, I can't, I can't uh, so to speak, continue to live. The Ma'am lawyers uses the words. I, need, I can't wait until the 13th of Adar, he spoils the taste of life for me. You know, see, like your, your food gets rotten, the milk gets, is the taste of life. I can't, even, I can't even enjoy, I can't taste all the things I have as long as that man is still alive. Okay, Haman's made his case. But this is a little bit of recapping from previous classes, which brings us now to the final verse of chapter 5. Okay, you have the, the dramatic music playing. <laughs> what will Zeresh respond? So Zeresh is a very, very smart lady. Haman was, was smart to trust his wife, and he knew that she's very, very wise. Oh, one second. Before we go on to Her- one, one last Yalkut Shemari, before we go on to, to Zeresh's thing. Haman says, when he talks about the fact that he was brought, Vayemer Haman, af, af, which now literally translates where af means like kind of like but or nobody else. Oh, nobody else. As it translates the uh, af over here. Even. 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 E- no, 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 even, even, addition to everything else. Not only this, even the party, I'm the only one there. So Yaakov Shemani says like this. This is an instance of sometimes where a wicked person's mouth trips him up. In other words, Haman said something without realizing what he was saying. And he says, Af. What's with Af? So the Yalkut Shemani notes that in the Bible, there are four examples of villainous individuals who end up getting their just desserts 
and they begin their statement with af, where they, their concluding argument starts with af. And the first, the, the first one that the Al-Qur'an mentions is the Sar Ha'ifen, the butler. There was, the, there was, the, was the, the baker and the butler. So the baker said, ah, after he heard Yosef interpret the butler's dream, he said, oh, afani b'chaloimi. And what happened? Vinitzlov, he was hung. What happened to Haman? He was hung. And now, Amr Reb Chanina Bar Papa, so the Yalkut Shabbat says, Reb Chanina Bar Papa said, There are four people in the length and breadth of biblical history who opened their final argu- closing argument with Af. Who are they? The Nachash, the primordial snake who has his uh, life spoiled forever. Sar Ha'ifim, the baker. Koirach, the man who rebelled against Moshe Rabbeinu. And finally, Haman. Nachash Minayan the Nachash said, Afki Omar. He said, Afki Omar. He said, Afki Omar. We'll soon see what that Afki Omar lands us. The Sar Ha'ifim said, as we mentioned, Afani Bechalemi. Koirach said to Moshe Rabbeinu in his closing arguments against Moshe, Af loyal ered zavas chalavadvash. Also with Af. And finally, Haman said, Af lehivia Esther. She didn't bring anybody else. Nobody else. Just me. Just me. So that af was pivich shilei. We don't see the miracles happening yet, but his mouth caused him to trip. Anyway, that's what I say. Just say. Zeresh. Zeresh's response. Vatoimer loy Zeresh ishtoi. Zeresh, his wife. And from this we understand Zeresh, his wife, the one who worried about him, who cared about him, who loved him, who was concerned for him, maybe not wisest, but for sure cared most about him. And because when you really care about somebody, Anybody can be a genius. You have to really care about it. <laughs> right? Like, if you really care, if it's really important to you, you can think of a brilliant idea. And she does think of a brilliant idea. Zeresh starts to say, and I mentioned this previously, in a previous class, according to Medrash, now I'm going to, I'm going to quote the Targum Sheni, which gives us different details. And then, I'll, I'll, even, there's even more details. There's a number of Midrashic traditions, all similar ideas, but mentioned, with different names mentioned. So Zeresh says to Haman, we really have to do this carefully because like he's Jewish, right? So the Jews have like, you know, like they went with the devil. They, they, they somehow get away with things. They, they, we, have to be, we have to proceed very carefully if, we, if we're going to be able to, to achieve success here. So Zeresh said, look, she said, fire is not going to work. You're not going to be able to use fire. Why? Because Avram Avinu was saved from a fire. She goes back to the beginning of time. Uh, so fire is not going to work. Okay, what's the nuts? If it can't be by fire, what should we do? Use the sword. He said, You're not going to be able to use the sword because Ishtev Minei Yitzchak. Yitzchak had a sword raised against him. It was saved. So no fire, no sword. What do you say next? Water. Water. He says, You're not going to be able to knock him out with water because. Ishtazivu minhain Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu himself was saved from the water when he was a baby placed as a, as a basket. And B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, saved in the Reed Sea. Fire no good, sword no good, water no good. All right, what was a favorite pastime of the ancients when you don't like somebody? Every good king, monarch, prince had himself a nice little den full of lions or wild animals. This was a star of the animals, which is cruel to the animals, but who cares about that? And then every once in a while, reward them with a person, a hapless individual, their victims were thrown in and torn to pieces. He says, eh, goi varoyosa, they have the this lion's den, loy teichol, it's not going to work, because ishteve minei Daniel, Daniel will say from that. What should you do, he says? Ah, beram avid zikef chamishim ama. You make a, you put up a, a, a wood, a pole, 250 amas high. And in the morning, he'll tell the king to hang him, and he'll be hung, Everything's going to work out. Now there is another, there's another version that the Ma'am Lois brings down from a different Medesh, and that is, what's the other thing you do? Fire, water, sword. The Goi Varoyas is like the, you know, the execution, execution method. Have, you know, wash your hands. You don't have to do it yourself. The animals do it for you. What's the other thing? The other thing we didn't mention. We didn't mention prison. So he says, that's not going to work. Because if it's prison, the Jewish people were like in prison in the desert. It's like a prison. And they lived there 40 years. So he says, maybe just you should mutilate him. Don't try any of those things. Just mutilate him 
and then he'll be, he'll be able to function. Shimshin. Very good. It says, he mutilated me. He gouged his eyes out. That didn't work with Shimshin. In the end, Shimshin knocked them all down. So she went through Jewish history. She's a very smart lady. By the way, some of the Nazis were very learned also. They knew about Jewish history. The Nazis had a favorite pastime. In many of the concentration camps on Purim, they would hang 10 Jews publicly. Yeah, this was a big thing for them. They would celebrate Purim. So, so this is how, this is Zeresh's idea. She said, nothing else is going to work. The gallows. That, that's going to work. 50 amas high, she says. Yasa eights will make a gallows that's going to be chamishim amma, 50 amas high. Uva boiker, and in the morning, Emer Lamelech will tell the king, the Yislus Haman Allah, we're going to hang string Mordechai up on it. Yislus Mordechai. Uvoi yim hamelech ala mishta, then you'll come to the mishta, and you'll be someach, you'll be happy, you'll be toivleid, you'll be in a good mood. And it's beautiful. Done! Wash your hands, finish yourself, finish off all the grief and all the aggravation. The vexing problem of Mordechai the Jew will be no longer. Haman listens and he begins to smile. He likes it. He likes This is good. And so they make the large wood. But it was true that the Melech will. Ah, ah, this is this. You ask good questions. How does how does Haman know Hashem is going to agree? And first, they make the gallows, and then you ask the questions. Shoot first, ask questions later. It doesn't work like that in a monarchy. That's that's sedition. But there's, there's a lot of funny things going on over here. A lot of things have to be understood over here. So first of all, the the Ma'amaloyas, uh, the Yaakov Shemayni tells us that when it came to making this wood, this big big beam, they couldn't find the beam that big. 50 amos is a very, very high, long piece of wood. Where do you find a 50 amma? An amma is 18 inches. And that's a conservative, that's a conservative estimate. It could be even more. It could be, it could be, it could be a liberal, it could be, according to some opinions, it could be as many as 24 inches, which could be up to 100 feet, 75 feet or 100 feet long. It's a very long, a meter? Um, I think it's 25 to uh, 50 meters long. That's a very long piece of wood. Very long piece of wood. So, where do you get a piece of wood like that? You've got to cut down a redwood tree or something. Like it's a, a straight piece of wood like that? And you need it now. Where are you going to find that? It's a problem. So, the Yaakov Shemayni says, Haman starts looking for this 50, 50 uh, uh, cubit pole. Well, they couldn't find it. They, they got on the phone. It's the middle of the night, you know. They called all the lumber stores. Nobody has lumber like that. <laughs> they went online. Lumber's are us. Nothing doing. Comes back. Whoever he could. It's the middle of the night, remember. This is a specialty item. How do you get it manufactured? You have to manufacture. Tonight has got to get manufactured because tomorrow morning we're going to hang him because he's got to come to the party seeing Mordecai hanging already and being in a good mood. There's no time to, to order a specialty item. What are they going to do? He says, okay, give it 50 pure word. Get a three-month wait for that. Are you kidding? He's going to do this now. Where's he going to find this? It's a problem. So Yaakov Shemayni says they looked and they couldn't find. But there was one gigantic beam of wood in Haman's own home. He was ready to dismantle his own home. Where did he get that wood from? Ah, this is amazing. Parshandosa, who was the son of Haman, he had been appointed governor in a province known as Cordonia, which is just west of Kurdistan today. This is the area today that is primarily controlled by the PKK. These are the Turkish rebels, the Kurds who are rebelling against the Turkish government, who are Erdogan is trying to destroy them. They live in the area, the mountainous area they live in is known as the mountains of Ararat. Till today. Till today, those mountains are known as Ararat. What was in Ararat? No, no, Steva. He was in this place. He found the Teva of Noach. He took a beam from Noach's Teva and he brought his dad a gift. How long was those, those boards of wood? How incredible is this? Talk about layers of history. Why was this? HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a zikar and says the Yaakot so that all nations will know that there was once a Mabel. 
And for many, many centuries, for many centuries, people would still come and look at this giant ark, this big floating barge. Incidentally, there was a Christian archaeologist about 25, 30 years ago who set out to find the ark. Mm -hmm. His name is Wendell Jones. He's passed away since. The mythical Hollywood figure, Indiana Jones, is based on the person of Wendell Jones. He's a real guy. He actually was looking for the ark. He's a very, very strong, believing Christian, and he went looking for biblical archaeology. And he did find the ark, and there's a movie about it. You can go, he has a documentary that he made, only by the time he wanted to return, then all of a sudden the PKK was in full-blown rebellion, and the Turkish government shut, them, shut him down. This is before Erdogan. At that time, Turkey was still a more or less Western country, an open country, but it would not allow him to go in that territory, and now nobody's allowed to go. It's a forbidden area. Basically, what he discovered is he, he found these, the, for the, royal, for the, the measurement is royal cubits, which is Amma, our Amma. He found that the, it, it what seems that there was an, a, a volcano at some point, and in the force of the lava, the, the Teva broke in half. And half of it is down the mountain, lodged down the mountain. It's petrified. It's 4,000 years old. And part of it is still stuck on top of the mountain. But when he went over it with a... Um, something that, that looks for metal, a metal detector, they were able to detect pegs on a, on, a, on a regular, across the petrified wood, they could detect that there was metal, but you can't extract the actual metal, but they actually saw, he went, he, he documented this, like every so-and-so, so I don't remember, remember the amount of space, but there was, with regular, on regular intervals, which is indicative of building. And, and the measurements line up, and it is a box, it's a square. So for a long time, the Teva was actually visible. People actually saw the Teva. And they didn't challenge the history of the Bible because they saw it. And the, the, the Yaakov Shemayin says, when Sodom was turned over, it also became a zichron elam. It says Lot's wife turned around, and that was a pillar of salt, and that pillar of salt remained there. And for a very long time, people knew what that pillar of salt is. Today, every time you go with a different tour guide, they put to a different mountain and say, there's Lot's wife. Okay, fine. There's even, there's even people who made sculptures called Lot's wife. The Jordanians say Lot's wife is on, is on the, the, the Jordanian side. We say, whatever. We don't know where it is. Anymore. We lost the tradition. But for a long time, we did have that tradition. And here, the al finishes off also with the same words, similar words of the Medrash, that HaKadosh uh, Baruch but a little sharper. She said, Zeresh, Mikol Dover HaKadosh Baruch Yochel. God can, He has ability with everything. He could save Avram from fire, He could save Yitzchak from the Akedah, He could save Yaakov from the Malach, which you don't mention. It's a different medrash, Yaakov from the Malach. Moshe from the sword. Interesting, different version, because Moshe Rabbeinu had the sword of Yisrael and Hayam, which is from water. So we have a little bit different order over here. We have fire, we have uh, Akedah, just like, you know, Akedah, which may be... I want to design that, you know, like they're turning family against each other, or Yaakov and the Malach. But he says the one thing God can't stop is hanging. Because he never did that. So, so this is, Zeresh is so wicked, she said, here's where we found God's weak point. We found his underbelly. Hanging. He's not going to be able to stop him. So we have to find this enormous pole, but why was Zeresh thinking to find this enormous pole to begin with? This is something that everybody is perplexed by. 50 amas. 50 amas? 100 feet? A man is like 6 feet? Everybody can think. Ah, so, so the David Feinstein asks a very good question. He says, we have a Gemara in the beginning of Masechah Sukkah that says that the, that the, that the schach of the Sukkah can't be too high. And there's very, the Gemara gives three reasons. One of the reasons why is it can't be more than 20 amot. Why can't it be more than 20 amot? Because 20 amot, leisholte be'ena, says the Gemara. The eye doesn't notice it. It's not with an eye shot. So he says clearly from the Gemara, it seems, that after 20 Amas, the eye doesn't see it. There's the same halacha in Hilchas Erevin with regard to the various mechanisms we would make to seal off a cul-de-sac, to make it a, a private domain for Shabbos, that you, saw that you put something called a koira. You put a, a marker on the outside, which indicates that you know, this is a private area, creating a demarcation between it and the public domain. And if it's higher than 20 Amas, it doesn't work. It's like way up there. Nobody notices it. So the David says... Many of the Farshim say what you're saying. They all say, so it should be seen from afar. But the David asks, there shouldn't be 20 Amas then. It shouldn't be 50, it should be 20. 20 is beyond people could see. Now with regard to the idea of seeing it, this was actually an, a very old practice that continued all the way until the 19th century. There was an instance here in Canada. It's called gibbeting. When a person would be executed by the government, they would hang the person. 
the famous pirate Blackbeard was gibbeted and he hung in the harbor, in London Harbor, for something like 10 years. Gibbeting means you hang the body up. You know why you do it? To scare the heebie-jeebies out of everybody. And this is what will happen if you'll be a pirate. And only when they hung the pirates up and left their bodies there, they used to encase them, had metal, metal rings around them, and left their bodies rotting for a decade. People would, the stench was unbelievable, and the sight was horrific, and it scared the heck out of people. And, and the birds won't come. And, uh, the birds won't come? I think the birds do come. Do yeah, but that's exactly the point. This, was, this, was a, this is a method of scaring people, frightening people, getting the word out. So the Mepharshim say, Haman wanted right in the morning. The Malbum says, first thing in the morning. Why first thing in the morning? He says, as soon as people wake up in the morning, it should happen. It should happen in the middle of rush hour. Everybody should see Mordechai being, whew, being pulled all the way up there. And then everybody will see him hanging. And what will the show? Don't mess with Haman. Nobody messes with the king's prime minister. But and Haman... It has happened that they have hung people and they haven't died. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, actually, some of the Mepharshim say that the reason that it have to be 50 is because there was a rule in Persia. And many countries have had this rule. That if the rope rips, you go free. Mm-hmm. Ah, so this is a problem. If the rope's going to rip, then Mordechai might go free. After all, we're very worried about him getting lucky. So the Ma'am Loyes quotes the Maharash, Don Apshara, Eni Haeda, and a number of other Mepharshim. He says that there was this rule that if Nikra HaChevel, that's it, Nechon HaNitlo. Rips, you're off. So they said to Haman, make it 50 amas high. Why? If the rope doesn't kill him, the fall will kill him. Sincerely guaranteed. He's falling three stories. So, so therefore, as we guaranteed he dies. But don't take chances. And this is why Zeresh, this is a very logical reason. Zeresh was very worried for her husband. She said, these Jewish people, they're like, the devil's with them. We've got to make sure we, somehow their God is always there saving them. Find the one way that their God can help them. And, you know, our luck, the rope is going to rip. Let him die before the fall. Just make sure he dies. That's like a very logical reason. Now, the, the Medrash says that that night, they got right away to work. Haman didn't even get undressed. He was still wearing his tie. He was still wearing his formal attire. And right away, bring the workers in. You imagine this, middle of the night. They didn't even have like, like cell phones. I don't know how they get workers in the middle of the night. Bring the workers in the middle of the night. And everybody started working to build this gallows. So it shouldn't be fall, it should be solid. It should be, get to remove this beam from the house, set the beam up. It says, Ban of Shalhaman, the children of Haman were there whistling away and banging with the hammers. And it was a whole family event. And, and Zeresh, the monstrous, she came out with her musical instruments. And she was playing musical instruments, more like these uh, Fakistinian monster moms who come out after their children kill people and they give out sweets. So she was preparing for the death of the, of the enemy. She came out now with music and she was giving out candy, giving pastries out to all the guests. They invited the guests of it, a block party. Everybody could come to the Hamanic compound and she kept saying, I'm paying. I'm paying. This is my treat. I pay all the bills tonight. She had her own bank account. I'm paying all the bills tonight. And Baruch HaMishta, she made a great big feast. Now, Why this... Why says Vayasa Eitz? Huh? Vayasa Eitz, because that... It was, it means, it more, Vayasa Eitz means that it was more like it was done. But really, it was like Haman, by Haman's decree, it was by Haman's, Haman's order. Now, of course, this is a very dangerous thing to do, because Haman is building a governmental kind of punishment, a punishment for the king. It's not for him, right? He's building a private property. Why is he doing it on private property? Because he can't go and build it on public property without permission from the king. the king. But on the other hand, he's afraid to wait till tomorrow. He's got to be in a good mood by the time the meal comes around. He can't come to the meal with a sour face. As one of the Mepharshim say, how could you come to the meal with the king and the queen and you be miserable? You have to come happy. So you have this duty. There's a duty. Okay, you have a duty. You have to do this. So therefore, Haman was, was, was a little bit nervous about this. He was afraid. And they said to him, don't you worry. You'll see. The king loves you. It'll work out. It'll work out. So the king, you're, you're, you're a little nervous about this, but you'll see that, 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 that the, the king is happy enough with you. You'll tell him everything's prepared already, and he'll say, go for it. 
So he took a big risk. Haman takes a big risk here. And of course, this is his undoing. This big risk. Everything gets undone from here. The, some of the, the commentaries point out that this was all min hashemayim. All min hashemayim. Why? That it should be 50 amos high. So the next night, when Ahasuerus would hear that Haman wants to kill the queen, when Esther finally pulls the trigger, it says Ahasuerus is fuming. He gets up and he goes for a walk in the garden. And then he comes back in and what does he see? He sees Haman basically on top of Esther, begging for her life. And then he goes ballistic. He goes nuclear. You want to seduce the queen of my own house? And all of a sudden, Chavona shows up just at the right time. Who we have a tradition is Daniel. And Chavona says, Your Majesty, not only this, your loyal Mordechai, who you didn't reward, he wants to build a, a gallows for him. And they look out the window and he says, that's the gallows, 50 feet high. Haman didn't live next door. That's 50 feet high. It was a tall gallows. He said, gallows, that's the gallows right there. And says, any day You can't compare hearing to seeing. When Haman, when Achashver saw the gallows, he said, he wants to hang my Mordechai on those gallows? Let him go ahead. Let him hang. Everything was all, all the, the, the way of Hashem. Everything just had to happen in the right time, in the right place, in the right way. And everything comes together. So, and, and, and again, more interesting ideas about, about why it has to be 50 Amos high. The Al-Sheikh, he comes along and he says, there is this explanation that later the gallows, this big beam, was cut into 10 pieces. Why did it have to be cut into 10 pieces? Because Haman was hung, and then after we had to hang all of Haman's children. So he said it worked at just enough space to make, out of this gallows, that gallows, that's the gallows his family is going to hang from. So they made a whole series of gallows, Haman and his ten sons hung from all that. But he says, but what, would, what were they thinking? That's, that's how it works out in the end. What were they thinking? There's got to be some kind of other reason. So the Alshech suggests that this is something to do with, with black magic and the forces of Klippa, forces of Tuma. He said, we know that there are 50 gates of purity, 50 gates of holiness, right? It's called Chamishim Sharebina. And that's where the Jewish people count down 49 days and then the Torah is given on the 50th. But there's also 50 gates of the opposite, of impurity. And it says when the Jewish people were in Mitzrayim, they came to the 49th gate of impurity. Had they entered into the 50th gate, they would be irretrievable. So Zeresh, who's this uh, you know, Nazi Kabbalist, who knows like this, this Jewish mysticism and knows about all these forces and so on and so forth, she designs in her mind a gallows that should transcend the number 49, which represents the full gamut of human effort in serving Hashem. And says, so we get taken to the 50th. Once we go to the 50th, then we have nothing else to worry about. The Mamloyz also says that Zeresh was concerned that Mordechai himself was a sorcerer. You know, it's like the old age canner against Jews. The Jews have horns, the Jews drink blood, the Jews are sorcerers. He has black magic, and Mordechai is going to do. So he said, you have to hang him, because the only way a sorcerer has power is if his feet are on the ground. They got to be plugged in. <laughs> so therefore, get his feet off the ground. Get him as high up as possible, possibly can. If he's high up, that way will neutralize whatever power that he might have. There's a very interesting medrash that connects this uh, business of, of, the, of, the, of, of the, the eights, which we're going to have, he would have had Mordechai uh, swing from, right? It says, make Yaso eights gavayach hamishim ama, and v'emer l'melech, b'abaykar emer, in the morning you'll tell the king, as if he's going to tell the king. That's what they told him. You'll tell him, you'll see, you'll tell him. And then v'yislos Mordechai, they're going to hang Haman, uh, Mordechai. And then you can come, you can be happy, you'll be enjoy life, you'll be able to participate in the party, you'll feel good about yourself. So the Medr says that God said that this gallows, this eights, will not be. Why? Avram came first already. What did Avram do? Avram said to the angels, who he thought at the time were nomads, he said to them, V'hishonu tachasa eights. Ah. And then there's the business with Moshe Rabbeinu, that God instructs him with regard to the wood. So it was a business with eights weiter. So here we have a story with eights. So the eights of Moshe, the eights of Rav Avino precedes the eights. Eights is wood. So the Rebbe in a Maimer, in a Maimer, he asks a question, what is the connection between Rav Avino's tree and Haman's? What's the connection? It doesn't seem to make any sense, especially we just said this wood was harvested or chopped down before Rav Avino was born. So it's from, from Noach's from Noach's table. Like, 
It's like it's like eights eights, you know, like wood here, wood there. Like you're just like connecting pieces of wood from across history. They have nothing to do with each other. Also, Beit Hamikdash was built Mishkan. Mishkan first. Mishkan, yeah. not yeah. Beit Hamikdash. Right. Beit doesn't have any wood. So the Medrash Seichotev says like this. The Medrash Seichotev is what Avraham Avinu said. Vishano Tachasa eights. It says ha eights, the wood. What's the tree? Later on, we see that Avraham Avinu plants a tree. Vayita Eishel, plants a tree. So what's so famous about this Eishel? That wood that was planted by Avraham Avinu in Be'er Sheva, which I guess the Medrash somehow connects to the wood that was in Hebron, which may be transplanted from Hebron to Be'er Sheva, what happens to that, that tree? What happens to that orchard? It's tended by Yitzchak, and then later tended by Yaakov. And when they're leaving Mitzrayim, the last stop is Be'er Sheva, and what do they do? They take these trees and especially ha'etz, that wood, and they bring that wood into Mitzrayim, and they planted a forest. And this forest of acacia wood grew in the land of Mitzrayim. Mm-hmm. And when a young child would cry to his father or mother, what's ever going to happen to us? Is there any hope for us? The parents would take, like the Rebbe once said, the parents would take the children to this forest, and you see this forest? This forest is planted by our great-grandfather Yaakov. And this wood, we're going to leave Mitzrayim with this wood. And they did they didn't really know why, but they had this tradition that Yaakov came with wood and you have to leave with wood. Especially Ha'etz. There was the main tree, which was Avram's tree. What happened with that, that wood? When it says the Jewish people were in the desert and God said to build a Mishkan, He said to build it of acacia wood. So where are we going to get wood from? Where was that wood from? That was the wood that Avram planted, that Yitzchak tended, that Yaakov uprooted and replanted, that the Jewish people watched grow. That wood, which was the hope of the children of Israel during their depths of their degradation, and their sorrow, and their anguish, and agony, that same wood became the Mishkan, which housed the Shekhinah. Now, what about the wood? What about Ha'etz? What about the fulcrum, the central tree of Avram Avinu? That main wood, there was a miraculous beam, a cross beam. It says all of the wood, there was these boards of wood, and the boards of wood were lashed together, and then there was a a central uh, beam that went through all the three walls of the Mishkan. All the way down, the 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 the, the said, and then it miraculously turned, and then it came all the way back. So it was like it was like it was like in the shape of a ches. That wood, that that miraculous wood, that was ha'etz. That was Avram's. That was Avram's tree. That was the tree that the angel sat under. So the Rebbe says that the bending of the beam, the, men, the bending of the beam in another in the Targum Yenusu Ben it says this rep- is was lay, uh, similar to the nochash to the original snake. Ah, original snake. What was, the, what was the original snake? That's the one who got Chava and then Adam to sin. So the original snake has a counterweight. What's the counterweight of the original snake? What's the counterweight of the forces of Klippa? Because everything has Zel or Umazeh. Everything has a counterweight. What's the counterweight of the snake? Hagabir says, this tree of Avram. Ah, so the Rebbe says, Haman spiritual root comes from the Nachash HaKadmoini. Which is pretty interesting because we just in the Al Kachumani we just said Af Af right the first one who said Af was the was the Nachash the last one who says Af is Haman it's the end of the story so therefore Haman comes and he's trying to neutralize he's trying to, he is using the forces of Klipa the, like like we just said the like Al Shach says fifty gate of impurity so when we have Avraham Avinu's alter ego to this Avraham Avinu's antidote was there an antidote this is the Eishel. Klippa represents the height of selfishness, and Kedusha is the height of selflessness. What did Avraham Avinu do? He fed his guests. Who were they? The lowest dregs of society, worshipping dust at their feet. Avraham didn't care. Avraham represents the height of holiness, and Haman and Amalek represent the height of Klippa. So they came with the force of Klippa. And Mordechai, a descendant of Avraham Avinu, comes with the force of Kedusha. And so... The stage is now set. Stage is set. Everything is ready to happen. And really now at this point, there is no time anymore. There is no time. There's no time for Esther to wait anymore, although she doesn't know it. There's no time for God to wait anymore. Now, because in a few hours, unless something happens right now, in a few hours, Mordechai is going to be swinging from the trees. And once Mordechai is swinging from the tree, it's over. Without a Rebbe, the Jewish people will never get out of this. Not going to do this without a Moshe Rabbeinu. He is, it says, the, the Medrash says, Mordechai B'dayrei, K'moshe B'dayrei. This is like a Moshe Rabbeinu, a Moses figure. 
Without a leader, without a Moses, we couldn't get out of Mitzrayim, right? We need to have that Moshe Rabbein, we need to have that Rebbe. It's not going to happen. And right now, this Haman is planning the final hours of Mardukai. It's the middle of the night. They're working through the night. At dawn, Haman is about to hang Mardukai. This is a very suspenseful moment. What will happen? How will this end? And that is why the fifth chapter, right in the middle of the Megillah, that's why here it comes really up to the brink. We're like at the edge of the cliff. And then we go into a new chapter. All of a sudden we start going the other way now. Everything is going to change. How will it change? How will God make this miracle? How will the whole story start to turn over? Oh, so this you have to stay tuned. And... uh, (laughs) Next week we'll learn, we'll begin the sixth chapter.